are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Pistons Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. You can find me also on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. And you can also find me at Detroit Bad Boys, writing articles about the Pistons. And today I'm joined by the usual guest, Bryce from over at Motor City Hoops. Bryce, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm doing really well, Koo. Um, I feel like I say it every time, but I love being on the, the podcast, and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. All the time, man. I appreciate it as well. So I want to tell all you guys listening, brace yourselves. This may be a little bit of a longer podcast uh, because me and Bryce really want to dive in, and he had a really good breakdown already uh, at Detroit Bad Boys over Killian Hayes' first two games, film breakdown, really good one. And I read it today, and I was like, you know what? I really have been talking, like the last podcast, if you guys listened to it, I talked a lot about the X's and O's. And I had a few of you guys be like, you know, try to enjoy it more. Try not to look in the X's and O's as much, but that's just what I do. I can't, I can't do it. So if there's anyone I want to talk about with this, Bryce. So I think this is going to be a fun podcast to talk about the X's and O's and what we've seen from each young player so far through two games. And once again, once again, two games, it's not that big of a sample size, but they have three more games to go. I'm sure things will change or hopefully get better uh, as the time goes on, but we're going to talk about what we've seen so far through these two games. So, Bryce, I'll let you pick. Who do you want to start off with to talk about through these uh, two games? So, I mean, I feel like Cade is the obvious choice, right? But So let's start with Killian because you brought that up. And I feel – I said in that article that I feel like he may be the most polarizing player right now in this moment, even more than Sekou, who I usually say is the most polarizing Piston. Um, so if you're cool with that, let's start with Killian Hayes and break down what we've seen from him these first two games. Absolutely, we can do that. So I'll let you go ahead and go first, and you can uh, source your article that you wrote for Detroit Bad Boys today. Um, what did you? Let's start off with what we. Let's say some things that we don't like, or some things we think still are of need of improvement. Go, you can start off. Yeah, so um, go check that article out. Like Ku said, um, just dropped this afternoon on Detroit Bad Boys, and I would say the biggest thing for him is finding that three point shot, a consistency with it. And um, whether it's a lack of confidence right now, um, I think there's some uh, mechanic issues just in terms of he's not consistent. If you go watch the video breakdown, like he starts squared up and he's not really on the move and he still flings his hips to the side and kicks his legs out, which is kind of unusual. And so I, I think that's a big thing. And I also outline in the videos why it's so important. It's not just about his scoring and what, you know, for him him being able to play on the weak side and space the floor helps Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant once we get to the season and all of that. So, I, I mean, the, the biggest improvement I want to see, but I think we've seen a little bit, is looking to score in all situations. But I think the three-point shooting is the thing that we haven't seen yet, Coop. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think definitely, I mean, like I said, it's only been two games in the Summer League, so, I mean, it could flip around. It could get better. We, he could shoot really well the final three games. Either way, it could be just a five-game sample either way, and we could be looking at this completely wrong. And I kind of pointed this out on the last podcast as well, that 
Summer League is not the end of these guys' offseason. Like, they still have, like, another month and a half, what, month and a half, two months to go until the season starts. So, like, their season offseason will not be over when this Summer League ends. So, they could still get much better the rest of the offseason. They still have plenty of time to get better for the regular season. Um, but so far in regular, uh, in the Summer League, I should say, through two games, uh, with Killian, definitely his outside shooting has been ha- – hasn't been – hasn't looked much improved. Um he had that one step back he took going to his right that I really didn't like seeing from him. I feel like he – or going to his left. left. I yeah, left, say. yeah, left. He had that one going to his left that didn't look very good at all. Uh, I, I like seeing him do his – the one he's more comfortable with is the one when he's going to his right. Uh, but that one he went to his left, I really didn't like that one. Uh, I don't know if he's had that many. I think he's taken, what, two catch-and-shoot threes? I think everything else has been off the dribble. Uh, but those ones didn't look very good either. Uh, but yeah, outside shooting obviously is the most important thing and the thing that he struggled with even in his rookie season, even still now in the summer league. So hopefully he gets that under, uh, gets that improved before the regular season. Uh, but outside of that, I think that the next thing I really want to see from him, and, I, and I've said this also in the last podcast, that I want to see him try to, to draw fouls more and try to go straight, straight uh, to the rim and body players and try to use that strength that he's built on which I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about some of the great things we'd like to see from him. Um, but I'd like to see him do that a little bit more. The thing is, is that I'm just not sure if he's really been put in the situation where he has that many opportunities to do it. I know you pointed out one uh, opportunity on the fast break after he got a block on Jalen Green. Uh, he went and Kay threw it up to him and instead of him going up on the, I forget who it was. Was it uh, Christopher at the, at the room? Uh, no, that one was Kenyon Martin Jr. Okay, yeah. So he was sitting at the rim for for Killian Hayes to come driving down him, and instead of trying to like absorb the contact, possibly get free throws, he immediately looked to pass, which that wasn't a good decision, and that was an opportunity he could have had to try to pick up a foul, get some free throws. But outside of that, I think they like after the first stint in the first quarter, they really went like off ball with Killian and Cade and tried to like give the keys to save and leave, which I get the idea behind it, but I think that kind of eliminates their opportunities to try to draw fouls at the rim. Uh, but that that's another area I'd like to see him try to do a little bit more during the final three games if the coaching staff puts him in a position to kind of do that. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a that's going to be a huge part of this backcourt back court in general. I, I think they've only shot four free throws in two games. And so, um, you know, drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line, easy buckets is, is part of the game, especially for those guys. I, I do want to touch on the step back because you bring up a really good point. It looked really, really ugly in game one going to his left which for a lefty, that's the harder way to do it. Like um, it's not as natural going to your left if you're a left-handed shooter. I I think we've talked about this. I think we agree on this. Maybe you've changed your mind or maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't mind his step back, little James Harden sidestep, step back going to his right. I would like to see him shoot it. But in this game, he turned it down twice. And to me, that speaks to a little bit, either he's been told not to, so the coaching staff disagrees with me, or he's lost confidence just a little bit. And so um, I do think I did think that was interesting. And, you know, here's the other thing, Koo, if if John Beeline or whoever really is working on his mechanics and really working on it, sometimes when you start to break a player's shot down, initially it does get worse before it gets better. You know, you're looking for the long term goal. And so maybe they're right in the middle of kind of breaking it down and bringing it back. And like you said, we still have a couple months before season, so maybe it'll be ready by then. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I do think that him going to his right on that step back definitely is much better. And I, I don't have any issue with him doing it. It seems like a move that he's real confident in. He did turn it down a couple of times. Uh, he created a ton of space with the two. It was really frustrating to see. I hate it 
when when he creates so much room for himself and does the hard part and then just doesn't take advantage of it. Um, I think he's done less of that so far in the Summer League. But um, real quick, we've talked about some of the things we didn't we haven't liked from him or some of the things he could improve on. Real quick, let's talk about some of the things we've liked from him. Uh, Bryce, go ahead. What were some of the things that you've liked from Killian Hayes so far in these two games? Yeah, so I, I think I have my biggest improvement for him was looking to be aggressive and to score the basketball when he drives. And while it's not every time, I felt like there's been improvement so far, um, especially here in game two. I didn't like break down game one. I obviously was there to watch game one. But in game two, you, and I talk about his eyes a lot when he drives, watch his eyes and whether his eyes are at the rim looking to score or whether he takes one or two dribbles and is already looking for somebody to pass. Too, because whenever he drives with his eyes on the rim, usually something good happens. And he showed a nice little midi and a nice, nice little teardrop. And then I think his defense. Now, he can still get beat at the point of attack. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he had a couple really good possessions against Kay, uh, excuse me, Jalen Green. And then um, in transition, he has active hands. And he has a beautiful possession where he has multiple efforts throughout almost a 24-second shot clock. So I think his defense has been really good, and I like whenever he's being aggressive. So I think the big thing for me that I've liked from Killian is the fact that he's gotten so much stronger and his body looks – you can tell that he put in a ton of work and he's completely transformed his body, which I think has taken his game – it's going to take his game to the next level. For me, I don't know if you agree, Bryce, if you see the same thing I'm seeing, but strictly due to his body transformation, how physical – how more, how much more – um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, his body just looks better. He looks like he's in better shape, like better basketball shape for his play style. Uh, I feel like he looks stronger. I feel like he looks faster. I think he looks more explosive. Um, I think maybe some of that might be due to the fact that he looks more assertive, simply trying to score. But I do feel like he looks more explosive, faster, and stronger. All of those things so far through t- uh, two games in the summer league. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think you're you can definitely tell that his body has transformed. You know, Luca Garza has, who we may talk a little bit about later. You know, got a lot of attention for transforming his body, but Killian Hayes definitely has. And what that's opened it up to having a different type of gain offensively is kind of bodying players when he drives, taking contact, but also defensively that now allows him to use that to kind of wear on smaller players, but also defend up or against bigger, stronger wings and guards. So it's just going to make him all around better player. Yeah. So I think that right there is the biggest thing that I've seen from him that I feel like it, it, it helps in every area of his game. So like, like you mentioned, he was really good defensively. He had a, a couple good defensive possessions on Jalen Green where he le- legit was just like bullying Jalen Green around, I feel like. like You could definitely tell that Killian Hayes' physicality and, and the weight difference was getting to Jalen Green. He just did not like how physical and, and how, how strong Killian Hayes was being with him. He did not like that at all uh, for a few possessions. So yeah, yeah, that, you- that – so, Go ahead. Yeah, you, I say you could see it. You could see it in Jalen Green's body language after one of those possessions. Like you could just tell he's like, man, get, you know, almost looking at the ref, like get this guy off me. And it's because of the physicality of Killian Hayes, which is really nice. And I know we're up against it with a with a break here, but I do want to make one more point on Killian, if you don't mind, when we come back. Go ahead. No, can you I can go ahead right now. Oh, go is, is it a longer point or is it a quicker no, no, I, point? I can hit it quick. Go ahead. Yeah, so I just want to say, like, I do think there's a a huge – obviously, there's a mental side to everybody's game. But for Killian, I think there's a huge mental side. You can see when he makes a mistake, lots of times it translates into another one. And, again, I showed that in the breakdown. So I do think that's one thing to watch for, even defensively, but offensively especially. So, like, that's just – I think it's a confidence thing for him. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about Killian and Kay Cunningham coming up. I'm sure we'll end up talking about Sekou as well and Sadiq Bey. 
We'll try to get to some of the other guys, but when we come back, we'll talk about all that. But first, let me tell you about one of our sponsors, Rock Auto. You ever need a part for your car, head to the store, go through a ton of confusing questioning just for one of the works to tell you that they don't have the part that you're looking for? I know I have. That's why you should avoid all these problems and rock with another one of our sponsors, rockauto.com. Find whatever part you're looking for on your computer or in your hand on your phone by using rockauto.com. Don't worry about having to create an account or making a membership. Just head over to rockauto.com and start shopping. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest and most reliable prices. Head over to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. What's the deal, guys? There are some things in life that you just don't really want to talk about. You know, issues in a relationship, family problems, or more importantly, sweating through your t-shirt in the public for no reason when out with the boys. Yeah, you heard me right. Everyone has been there, including myself. Simply wearing deodorant doesn't help it either. But sweat block antiperspirant wipes can help. Sweat block is doctor recreated and doctor recommended. You simply apply it at night before bedtime and go to bed. Then wake up the next day and do your normal routines like nothing ever happened. Except this time, without the worry of sweating through your t-shirt. Sweat block works for up to 7 days per use and has a dry shirt guarantee. If sweat block doesn't keep your shirt dry, you get your money back instantly. If you or someone you know is dealing with this worst issue in life of sweating through your t-shirt, tell them all about SweatBlock. Get it today for 20% off at SweatBlock.com with promo code LOCKEDON. Again, get it today for 20% off at SweatBlock.com with promo code LOCKEDON or at Amazon and CVS. Get SweatBlock now and stop sweating. Alright Bryce, so I want to go ahead and finish up a little bit with Killian Hayes and then we can dive more into, I feel like, Kate Cunningham, which is obviously I think what people are going to be most interested in. Uh, but another thing I like from Killian, I do feel like he's been much more assertive trying to score. Uh, there has been times where I feel like he could have been he could have been even more assertive on certain possessions. Uh, but I definitely feel like you've already seen the uptick in there in, in that area and him improve in that area just through these two games. And I think it kind of speaks as well to him just being stronger. There's a few of these like uh, these drives that he's absorbing contact on the drives. There's one of the floaters that you highlighted in the in your article that. He finished a, a tough loader, I believe, it over um, – I forget who was guarding. I think it was Christopher guarding him, and then he finished it over Segun, and Segun put a lob body in him after it, and he absorbed all of it and got it up over him, and it was all net. So I feel like that has a lot to do with him just feeling stronger and feeling more confident in his body. I feel like that has a lot to do with it. But, yeah, I, I like some of his assertiveness. He's getting to the paint. I know that's a lot, uh, a lot of the criticism of him during his rookie season. People felt like he wasn't getting to the paint enough. I feel like he's going to the paint anytime he really wants to. Now, whether he makes the right decision of looking to score or making the right pass, that that's up for debate. But I feel like he's getting to the paint at will. He's always getting his two feet in the paint. I think that's really nice to see as well. And like we've mentioned, his defense off ball and on ball, he's just been the pest. I think you can say that about Cade and Killen. Both of them have just been pest off ball. And it's really causing, obviously, summer league guys to struggle with it. We'll see what happens against NBA guards. But I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost 100% positive the NBA guards aren't going to like it either with that length and physicality that they bring in the backcourt. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about Killing Hayes. Overall, I would say that everything outside of his three-point shot, I feel like has improved. I, obviously, his three-point shot could still improve the rest of the offseason, but so far through two games, I really do feel like I've seen an improvement in just about every area but his three-point shot. Yeah, and I think what what is tough is that three-point shot is really what's going to take his game to like a – 
a star level, I guess, or, you know, like that, that that's going to be a huge component for him. He can still be a very, very good NBA player. He can be a starter um, if he continues to improve in these other areas, even if the shot doesn't come all the way around. But that shot, that three-point shot, is really what's going to take him to another a big-time level. And I think that's why people focus on it so much, and I understand that. And I think it's very important, too. But right now, I'm a little more concerned about the things we've talked about and seeing those improvements. And then hopefully we just gradually see that three-point shot come around over the next two, three years. I know people aren't patient enough for that. I get it. I understand. Um but it's probably a little bit more realistic. He's not just going to become a 40% three-point shooter in one offseason. Yeah, and we can go ahead and move into Kay Cunningham, but there's something you said just now that I want to harp on real quick. There's a real quick point. Pistons fans, I understand that you, everyone feels like the clock has been accelerated with Cade being selected. I do as well. Uh, but I don't think it's accelerated to the point that you guys are all acting like it is. Uh, Cade, not Cade, Killian is still 20 years old, uh, and it's been one offseason he's had. And he has played, what, less than, what, 40 games of professional basketball? How many games did he end up playing in, in the NBA this season? I, let me look real quick. 26. He played 26 of NBA games. So he only played he, – he didn't play even – what was that? You would call that, like, what, a quarter or a little bit over a quarter of the season. Um, and he has had one offseason that's not even complete yet. He's 20 years old. Like, these guys don't just become stars at the one offseason. Like, that doesn't happen. It takes multiple years. No one just warps into a star after one offseason. That's not how it works. It takes a while. So I, I could see Killing like hitting his stride like around age 22, 23. He's going, you just want to make sure you're seeing some improvements each offseason. I feel like you've seen the improvements this offseason already. You've seen that some of the areas that he's improved on. And someone said this. I know I'm t- we're talking a little bit too much about Killing. We, I promise we'll get straight into Cade real quick. But someone said that. Before entering the draft, two of Killian Hayes' weaknesses that NBA scouts said that he had to do if he wanted to become a really good player in the NBA. One was his outside shot, and two was his body transformation. He's already taken care of one of those in one offseason. His body is completely transformed, and he's done a great job with that, and he's improved in other areas too. So let's give him more than just one offseason. That's not even all the way through before we like start trying to make everything like drastic about him and just completely ignore everything else he has improved on. But anyways, we've talked a lot about Killian so far. Kay Cunningham, Bryce, the number one overall pick. What have you liked from him? What What is it that you really like to see? Yeah, so I mean, I thought game one he played fine. I know there was a lot of reaction to that game. I thought if, if, if he just makes shots, uh, the narrative is completely different. I thought he was the best player on the floor uh, Yeah, last night. I thought he was big time. He showcased a lot of what, what we wanted to see. You know, he, he went in transition one time and kind of bodied it. You know, uh, I think it was actually Jalen Green and then dumped off the pass. You know, people were talking last night about how he's getting teammates open shots. They're just not making them, which they will when we get to the regular season. You see the ability as a scorer. But you know what impressed me the most, Koo? I was very interested to see this, and he came out. I said this on, on your podcast. I said, it, it, who's, who matches up with Jalen Green to start the game? And it was Cade Cunningham. And I don't, I'm sure somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have a recollection of like Jalen Green scoring on Cade Cunningham in like just a, a definite situation like where Cade was matched up with him. Now I could be I can, mistaken. I can confirm, I can confirm this for you. Okay. So I, I saw a tweet yesterday. I, I believe it was correct. Everyone's been retweeting it. So I believe it was correct. I, I could be wrong. But at that point in the fourth quarter, I believe someone said, the tweet said, that 18 of Jalen Green's 20 points had came uh, when Kay Cunningham was on the bench. Now, he eventually finished with 25. And he hit the um, three, the final three, because he stared he stared Cade down. So the final yeah. three, uh, Cade overhelped a little bit on a drive 
or a post up or something. And then he was a little late on the closeout. So, um, yeah, you can go ahead though. But 18 at that point, it was 18. He only had 20 points. They said 18 of his 20 points came when K was on the bench. Yeah. So I, I just thought he did a really good job. And, and again, I, I, you tweeted this and, and I thought it was a good point. We, we almost feel like we have to be like Cade haters to make sure, or sorry, uh, Jalen Green haters to build up Cade Cunningham and I don't mean it to be that way but sometimes we we feel like we have to um, because that was the primetime matchup so I thought Cade's defense was really good I thought it was cool that he was mic'd up so everybody could hear kind of the stuff I had talked about from seeing him in person and how vocal he is and so I, I he's been as advertised that's the best way I can say it there has been literally no disappointment for me um, if I could say one thing, we brought it up with Killian is I'd like to see Cade get to the free throw line. That's why Jalen Green scored more points than him last night. Jalen Green, I think, made 10 free throws or something like that. 10 of 11. Cade, yeah, Cade hasn't even got to the free throw line once. So um, that that maybe would be the one critique, I guess. Um, but that's, you know, it is, it'll get there. So my takeaways from Cade Cunningham so far is basically everything that Bryce just said. I think he's been... Like everything he's shown is exactly what you thought it was going to be, which is why I've said this on the podcast already multiple times. And I understand we're going like we're going to talk about Kate still. Like he's a big deal. Obviously, we're going to talk about Kate a lot. But that's kind of like the reason I haven't spent much time talking about Kate because it's like everything he's doing, like we expected it. And it's like nothing that's like, like I'm just going to be saying the same thing over and over. Like there's nothing really to like point out about Kate that like is shocking because all this stuff we knew of this about him already. We expected him to do these kind of things. And I've liked it. He, he's created shots off the dribble. I mean, I think there's a couple yesterday. There's a couple of middies, and there was one three, too, that he really created a lot of space. I'm sure he'd like to have back and will probably make more often than he misses. He still ended up with 20 points, A of 18 shooting. Um, but, yeah, he's creating space with his jumper. He's getting to the paint. Uh, I feel like he, he has drawn a few fouls in the post last night, or not last night when you guys were listening. This will be two nights ago. Uh, it just didn't result in free throws. It happened before he got the shot up. Uh, but he he has showcased the the post game a little bit in that last game against Houston. Uh, defensively, I think you've said this multiple times as well. But it's the same thing with him and Killian. They show flashes on ball, but at the point of the attack, they that's probably where they're weakest at. They've shown the ability to get got in those situations. But off ball, they're both just extreme pests and just create all kinds of opportunities and steals. And it's it's really crazy. I mean, he last game he had three steals in this game. And a block. Killian had two blocks. So, like, they're both just, like, causing so much havoc off ball. I can't wait for it to start the season. But outside of that, I feel like Cade's been, just like you said, everything advertised. Uh, this is one stat I want to point out, and I pointed out in the last podcast, but I'll point it out again. So, if you take away Cade Cunningham's made and attempted threes, the Pistons went three of 26 from the three-point line. Uh, like you said, if, if the Pistons would have just made threes, he probably would have had 20 points and, like, 12 assists. Like, he was creating wide-open looks for him nonstop all game, constantly getting them open looks. We said that in the first game. He created multiple open looks for Tyler Cook. Tyler Cook just couldn't catch the ball. And then this game, everyone, no one could hit a three. The only people who hit a three in this game were Sadiq Bey, who was one of six, Luca Garza, who was one of two, and Saban Lee, one of two. And Saban's three wasn't even in the flow of the offense. It was an end-of-the-shot-clock heave that he had to get up. So, really, only two threes really came out of the flow of the offense in the entire game. That's awful. That's pitiful. Uh, so, like you said, when the regular season gets started, you'll see his assists rack up because he's going to have guys out there who can actually hit shots. But, yeah, if, if these guys would have just hit, simply hit shots, his numbers would look better, and I do agree as well. I feel like he was the best player on the court last night. Yeah, and, I mean, just to, in big picture of the game, this was talked about. You know, I think people are, like, getting – 
you know, the Pistons, we thought that we were going to go to summer league and compete for a championship and win games. And right now the Pistons are 0 and 2. And, you know, last night the Pistons go 7 to 35 from three and the Rockets go 14 to 32. Like, I know, listen, you and I love to break down the game as much as anybody into the little intricacies. And I'm sure there's some intricacies behind those numbers. But at the end of the day, sometimes it really is about putting the ball in the basket. And the Rockets went on a stretch where they couldn't miss and just shot the lights out. And the Pistons didn't. And for the most part, I thought they were good shots. And the Pistons still had it within six, I believe, maybe eight at some point in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, anybody worried about the fact that we're losing with the guys we have playing and whatever else, like they made seven more threes than us. They shot 24% better from three than what the Pistons did. So that, that really had a huge part of, you know, the outcome of that game. And we'll end up talking about a little bit later about why I believe the Pistons are 0-2. I think me and Bryce will both agree on this. I think it's very obvious why they're 0-2 right now. But when we come back, we'll talk about some of the other players, Sekou, Luka Garza, uh, Sadiq Bey. We'll talk about maybe saving Lee a little bit. But before we get into all that, let me tell you about another one of our sponsors, BetOnline AG. Betting is now legal in Michigan. And if you're anything like me, you want to take advantage of that instantly. However, there's one problem I constantly ran into. There's so many different apps to bet through. Which betting app is the best to use? Which one is the best for me? That's why I found BetOnline. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL season might be over, but the preseason is ramping right back up soon. The NBA Summer League and MLB are still in full swing. If you want to take your adventures beyond sports, however, BetOnline has you covered there too. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, things I didn't even know you could bet on. BetOnline has real-time updated odds and props for just about anything you can imagine. BetOnline is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to BetOnline now to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, and make sure you use promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Bryce, so we've talked about Killian Hayes. We've talked about Kay Cunningham. Who do you want to talk about next? You let's know who about, I want to talk about all the yeah, time. No, let, so no, who do you want to talk about? Yeah, no, let's do Seku. I want to talk about Seku. All right, I'll let you go first because when I start going, I'm going to go on for a while. So <laughs> I actually, I, really, I haven't seen your thoughts about what you've seen from Seku. So I'm actually interested to hear what you, what you feel about his summer league thus far. Yeah, so I'm going to start with like just the negative right off the bat and then we'll get to the positive. So again, it's going to sound a little bit like Killian's where – and I think I told you this, like, I'd like to see him make a couple of catch and shoot threes. Like, I'm not interested about any other threes from Sekou. Um, he had a couple in this game that, that he missed. And so I do, I still think that's an area of his game. He has to be able to make just like shoot decent from catch and shoot situations to keep the floor space. So that's my one big negative with Sekou. Other than that, we saw that you tweeted it out. Like, who do I give this credit to? The pass from Hayes or the cut from Sekou? I thought that was a big time cut from Sekou. Like, he timed it up, found it. You know, he's so good at that. We've both talked about it and highlighted it and done breakdowns of it. So we saw that. We saw him running the floor. Cade hit him on a nice pass. He just didn't finish. So we saw some more of that type of action from Sekou that I really like. The thing that I think has been the best from Sekou, I'm interested to see if you agree, is defensively. We talked about the block shots after game one and game two. I thought he had some really good possessions. And I kind of wonder if he's getting to the point where like he can be, you know, very, very switchable and get out and guard perimeter guys. And that uh, provides great value to a team whenever you can switch. You know, if he's playing the four, I don't know that you can play him at the five. That'd be a very small ball lineup and, you know, a regular NBA game. But I like what I've seen from him defensively. Um, I just would like to see that three point shot come around a little more. All right, so I I agree with everything you said. His three-point shot has been really depressing and disappointing for me to see. Uh, I'll continue to say it. It really does just shock me how he can be such a good three-point shooter in the G League on good attempts and just seem like 
just much worse of a shooter in the NBA. It, it really just it, it blows my mind. I don't get it. But outside of his three-point shot, and like you said, it's going to be basically the same thing with Killian Hayes. Outside of his three-point shot, I really do feel like he's taking a step forward in every other part of his game. Um, before I get to the biggest part, and I agree with you with what the bigger, biggest part is, uh, but before I get into that, I mean, he's running the floor still. Like, there was one play in the first game that I pointed out. He swatted a shot underneath the rim. He re- he recovered and covered somebody. I forget who it was. Someone got beat back door. He recovered and blocked that shot underneath the rim. Cade got it. No, not Cade. Sadiq Bey got it, ran the, uh, started running the break. Sekou was the last person uh, running back, ended up being the second person from the Pistons down the floor. Like, he just – he, it's incredible how fast he moves and how much he's been hustling and how much energy he's had. Like he's shown me more explosiveness in these two games than I've seen in a, in like his entire career. So that right there is a big thing. I feel like his body is coming into his own. He's it's kind of the same thing with Killing. Like I said, I feel like his body's coming to his own. He started to transform his body. He's being more physical, more explosive, uh, using his. This is a, actually you know what? This is a good story time. Uh, and I, I'm this is not me trying to brag. This is me legit being serious. So there was a point in my high school basketball career that like in my 11th grade year, I didn't play a lot. And I was a star in my 10th grade year. I was an absolute monster. Once again, I'm not trying to brag. I'm being, I'm telling a legit story. So my 10th grade year, I was a really good player. 11th grade year, I didn't play as much. And I, I sat back, I was like, dude, why am I not playing? Like it really hurt, hit me. But then after the season ended, I was in a basketball class and I started playing with more of the varsity guys that I, I was sitting behind. And we started running more games, running more games, running more games. And as we picked up towards the end of the year, I started to realize like, okay, I started to realize, like, okay, I can be more athletic than these guys. Like, this is where I'm good at. Like, I need to utilize my athleticism more. Because before, I would try to use, like, straight my skill and try, you know, out-talent out guys. And I realized, you know, I'm not more talented than these guys right now. I need, But I am more athletic than almost anyone I'm going to step on the floor with. So I started utilizing my athleticism. I started every time I went for a layup, anytime I drive, anytime I uh, try to get to the basket, anytime I did any of that, I put every bit of my athleticism into an explosion. And that really like that really helped me take the next level and help me be a better player for the next year where I ended up playing a lot. So I feel like that's something that Seku is learning. That it was a long story, but that basically is where I feel like Seku is learning. I feel like I can relate to that because I'm seeing it firsthand. Like Seku is doing more explosive things, and and I feel like he's putting this is the best way to go about it. I feel like he's putting more athleticism into each move he does, like than he had ever done. Like a lot of people would be like, he goes up soft in his last few years or like, where is this athleticism that he flashes and then sometimes just doesn't use it. I feel like now he's realizing, okay, I have this athleticism. I need to use it at every point of every moment of the game. And he's doing that much more often. I think that can take his game to the next level. And then defensively, like you said, he's been literally everywhere. If it's, if it's around the rim, he's made some incredible rotations, just like, really nice reads he's backed up players he's he's really taken uh care of some guys that have gotten beat back door or guys that get beat off the dribble he rotates really well and either blocks or contested at the rim like you said he switched out on guys and done a really good job switching out on guys and holding them in front of him he's gotten a few blocks not just in the interior but also on the perimeter staying in front of guys and forcing shots over him like i feel like defensively he's been and great i feel like he's been great defensively i feel like that's something he's realizing especially with Dwayne casey as your coach if I can be a really good defender, I'll be I'll be on the court. I'll be on the court if I can put effort in everything I do, if I use my explosion, my athleticism, everything I do, constantly go 100% and play really good defense, I'm going to be on the basketball court. And then that allows me to do other things on the court. So I feel like really – and also I feel like he's backed up Dwayne Casey's claim and my claim as well that he has improved and he's continued to improve his finishing around the rim. That drive on Sagoon, who's a defensive monster – that drive was really damn impressive. This, uh, I don't know if you know, remember which one I'm talking about, but the Euro step, 
he had on him going down the middle from the – he got the ball at the high post and gave him like a jab step and took him to the lane. That was really nice to see too. Uh, I know I've ranted for a really long time about Seku. I usually do. Uh, I apologize about that. But, yeah, I, I really liked everything I've seen from Seku outside of his three-point shot. I think he's looked really good outside of his three-point shot, which really sucks because, like you said, it's, it's something that he really needs to improve to space the floor for everybody. But I feel like he's taking steps everywhere else. No, I mean, and you bring up a really good point with the athleticism. I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, duh, you're going to use your athleticism. But especially this day and age, the game is the emphasis on skill, which, I mean, is obviously very, very important. I'm not trying to diminish it whatsoever. You know, having a high skill level is is vital. But there's such an emphasis on that. I think sometimes do guys do get caught in like, oh, they want to see me knock down threes and they want to see me do this move and they want to see this skill and be a great passer and all that. And yes, it would be great if every player could do all of that stuff. But as that stuff's developing or maybe not developing to the level we thought, why not use this athleticism to be a great cutter where he has a knack for cutting at the right time and be like, I don't say this in a negative way, but like be a a garbage man that just picks up offensive rebounds and runs the floor and works hard and like let your athleticism flourish in that way. Like that's a very, very important role that again, if you go through really good teams, usually every good team has a guy that, you know, fills that role in some way. Um, And I think that's something that Sekou can do. So um, especially, like I said, while he continues to hopefully develop and rein in the three point shot and some of the other skills. So before we move on to Luca Garza, let me just ask you: Did that? The, the, did you? Do you understand what I was saying with that story I told? Or are you sitting there like the, all the other listeners? Like, dude, what the hell is this guy talking? about? No, no. At, at first, I was like, uh, it, but no, it all connected. Like about halfway through, I was like, okay, I see where he's going with this. It all connects. Like, here's my problem: I wasn't athletic at all. I was a completely based on skill level so it doesn't resonate with me whatsoever um but no i uh i understood where you took the story and how it correlates and uh and connects with seku 100 percent. Right, and then and then the last question before we move on do you could i i want people to be able to check me if i'm just simply being biased or something do you do you also see him being like using more explosiveness and everything he does over these last two games i feel like i've seen him like use his athleticism explosiveness especially defensively like i've seen okay, him really yeah go out of go out of like out of his way to show it off yeah no I would agree with that like I I, I would have to re-watch the games a little bit to see it offensively as much as you're talking about um I mean I trust you and your eye and how you watch the game so I do not, feel like it's much more defensively I will point yeah, that out I think yeah, it's so, the majority coming from his defense okay so I'm not discounting you whatsoever I'm just saying I definitely have noticed it defensively. Like, I feel like he moves more fluidly, more confidently, more aggressively. Like, it, it happens faster. And so that's allowing his athleticism, his length, and everything else to shine. So 100% on the defensive end. Um, I'm definitely going to watch, what, uh, Friday night, I believe, is the next game. Um, watch Friday night to see if we see it offensively. All right. So we'll move into Luca Garza now. Uh, I think Luca is becoming – one of the fan favorites with the team already, and the season hasn't even started. I think that has a large part to do with his father being apparently like his his father is his biggest fan. I think everyone would want to have a father like that, um, but his father makes it to where you just can't root against him. So Bryce, try to take it a little easy once we start talking about his defense uh, for for his father that could be listening. But what do you, what are your thoughts about Luca Garza for real though? What what have you what have you saw from him? Yeah, I mean, one, I hope Frank Garza listens to Locked on Pistons. If not, somebody needs to tweet <laughs> at him and let him know. Um, yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say. Defensively, 
like he's never going to be a plus defender. I think you just hope he gets to as a neutral defender as possible. Um, we saw the two three zone implemented when he came in last night. I'm a I'm fine with that. Like I, I have no problem with that. If we have to play a little bit of two three zone, I think we have a lot of guys that make sense. So I don't have no problem with that whatsoever. The offensive game looks really good. The little Dirk one footer was really nice. Um, you know he works on his game. So the skill level, the footwork, I I I believe in the shot coup, um, and not just because. His father has sent us those videos on Twitter. Like, I just, I think it looks good. It, it looks good when he shot it in the games and he's made it. His free throw looks good. So I believe the shot is true. Here's where I think, this is what I truly believe uh, makes, makes or breaks for Luka. Because I think the offensive game is going to be good enough to counter the defensive liabilities. Um, can he become like a good, solid rebounder? especially on the defensive end. If he can do that, I think his chances of making an NBA and being a really good contributor um, go way, way up. So I think we both are in agreement about his offensive game. His offensive game has been really nice. Uh, that one leg uh, fadeaway that you talked about was pretty as hell. Um, he showcased good footwork. His shot, like you've said, has looked good. And I, one of the things that really makes me a believer in his shot, not only is the videos and his uh, obsessive work on it, and you can tell he has insane work ethic. So that's one of those things that you bet on those type of guys. But uh, both his threes have been all net. Like both threes that he's made, it's not like one of those ones that hit rim or like go off the back iron or anything like that. Both of them have just been straight wet, straight money. And I like that. Uh, that's more. That could be just more of an aesthetic thing for me, but it is what it is. Uh, this is actually a question I want to ask you because basically we, I think everyone knows that his offensive game has been looked really good. Like we can sit here and talk about it very clearly. His offensive game has looked really good. My question to you is, and I think you brought up a really good point with this rebounding, but I think that also ties into his defense, uh, his defense as well, and this is why I want to ask this question. So you brought up that 2-3 zone. There was one possession early when he first came and they run that 2-3 zone. I don't know if you listened to the last podcast or not, but I brought this up then for all you guys listening. That, <clears throat> excuse me, that they had him in the middle of the zone, and he was quite literally in no man's land. Like He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know where to go. Seku was stuck guarding two guys in the baseline. You saw Seku point up at him, trying to talk to him. And when Seku was trying to look at him and try to talk to him, he was turning around, backing up, looking around where he was supposed to go. And then that left where he, I, I'm assuming he was supposed I feel like they were more doing a 2-1-2 zone. I don't feel like it was a 2-3 zone. I feel like they were trying to match the guy up at the high post or match a guy like in the middle with Luka. At least that's what it looked like in my eyes. I don't know what the hell was going on, to be honest, because Luka was in no man's list. I was trying to piece together what it was going on. And then also that left Cade swinging from the left wing all the way to the right wing, all the way up to the top of the key. And Cade literally was running nonstop as the ball just kept swinging. And while this is all happening, you see Luca just like looking back and forth, wandering in no man's land, guarding nobody. Uh, and I feel like my question to you is at what level, like, does, because I, 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 it's hard for me to see how, in, especially in, in, in this NBA, maybe like 10 years ago, possibly, but it's hard for me to see in this NBA. Like, just at what level does he need to get to on defense to where it will be acceptable to keep – because his offense is good enough. What point defense defensively does he need to get to? Because it's it, – for me, it's tough because he really cannot move side to side. Like, he's lost weight and he's tried. Like, I respect that. And I that's kind of – if you want to bet on somebody, it's the guy that's going to, like, put in the work and knows his weaknesses and is trying. That I respect the hell out of that. But he's really slow laterally. He bites on a lot of pump fakes, which that's the kind of thing you can you can improve on, obviously, with more experience or whatever. So that's more of a minor note. But he's really slow laterally. I don't think he's ever going to have – I think his best case is like to just become a smart defender. But I think that's the 
that, that I feel like that's a lot to ask for as well. I don't know. I, I just really, I'm, I'm trying to pick your brain on it. Cause I really am. It's hard for me to see like watching him right now against some of league guys, the route to where he becomes a passable enough defender to where his offense become makes him a net positive on the court. Yeah. I mean, so one to answer that question, his offense is going to have to be really good. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I think you brought it up. Like he's just going to have to be a very good team defender. He's going to have to be a guy that always rotates correctly, always is in the right spot. If they're playing drop coverage, which they're probably going to have to with him, he does a really good job like dropping while staying active and playing it right. Or maybe he turns into a guy that that you hard hedge or double with, but he can do it aggressively and without fouling and move his feet just enough to, to double in a ball screen situation. Because that's what teams are going to do to take advantage of him is put him in ball screens. Um so, and then at the rim, he's never going to protect the rim with block shots, Koo. So can he perfect the verticality rule, which means his hands go straight up, he jumps, but he, he, you know, he just can test and make it a hard shot. Or can he become a guy that takes a lot of charges? Like if you're not a guy that can block shots, you counter that with either having quick hands and getting the ball, you know, deflected before it gets up, or you take charges. And then real quick, and I'll let you respond to that. You know, you brought up the 2-3 zone. I'll just say from my own experience, I played man-to-man from the time I was in third grade until the time I graduated college. I never played zone in a program that played any zone whatsoever. I never played for a coach who believed in zone. So if you stuck, I don't know if that's the if that's Luca Garza, but if you put me in a 2-3 zone the year after I graduated college, I would have looked a little lost as well, especially early on. And I know it's like, well, it's basketball. It's a 2-3 zone. You know, third graders play it. But there's a lot of intricacies that go into playing zone, yep. especially in the NBA when there's defensive three seconds and there's great shooters and the floor space and everything else. So, like, just because he looked lost on that possession in the second game of Summer League, it may just because he's never played zone before in his life and he's just trying to get used to it. Fair enough. That could be the case. Even with that, it's just that I, I I just find it, I just find the hard path. Like because like you said, like his offenses look good, but for me, I I, I think you kind of hit it on the head. That's this is where my thoughts are with Luca. Like I don't I don't see him. Like I'm being pessimistic here with this, but I really I'm just being honest. I don't see it possibly happening. It could happen. I'm predicting it just won't. Uh, him becoming a passable enough defender to where it's okay enough. He's going to have to be absolutely absurd offensively. Like he's gonna have to be this out of this world offensively the way it makes up for all of it. And right now he looks good offensively, but like I think he would have to be even better than this. He like he would have to be like a complete difference maker on the offensive end. Kind of like, okay, I'm gonna throw this example out at you. I, I don't they don't play the same type of way, but I, this is this is basically what I think of. Like he would have to be like Boban was, like with the Pistons when he would come into the game. Or like the when first, he comes in. No, that's exactly the guy I think of whenever pre- people bring up Luca Garza. So I'm glad you said it. Like you said, they don't play the same way, but I always think Boban whenever this conversation comes up. Yeah, exactly. Because Boban comes in the game and he's not like Shaq or anything, but he immediately impacts the offensive end. Like you have to double him. If he gets the ball in the post, he's scoring. He's putting the ball over you or you're fouling him. Like he is a difference maker in the offensive end. And a lot of times, and you see it in playoff games this past year and the regular season, like there are situations where it's like, okay, we need Boban because he's going to be such a difference maker offensively. It's going to plan out for us. I think Luka Garza will have to be that kind of good offensively to pay off for what his defense is. Because for me personally, I just don't see him ever getting to a point to where his defense gets passable enough to where he can be a consistent rotational player playing high minutes. Um, 
his unless his offense is absurdly good and it's gonna have to be way better than it is now that's how that's how good I think he'll have to be offensively to pay off for his defense but I think he's looked good in the summer league I will say that I think he's looked really good offensively in the summer league I think a lot of people expected that though but I I, I respect his work ethic he tries extremely hard his efforts 100% all the time so I like what I've seen from him I just it's hard for me to see the pathway to his defense like, I just want to say, like, I give him a lot of credit because whenever that pick happened, Pistons fans weren't happy, Koo. Like, I've mentioned this before. I did a mock draft with Richard Stamen from NBA Locked On Draft, and I, I took Luka as an undrafted free agent, and people hated it. Like, P- Pistons fans did not like it whenever I posted that on Twitter. So the fact he's kind of um, become a fan favorite a little bit and people are in his corner and excited and we're having this, you know, 10-minute conversation about him possibly being on the roster, I think just tells how far he has come. What I'll say is I could see Luca Garza being one of those guys that in the regular season you can play 10 or 15 minutes or every couple games 10 or 15 minutes and he comes in and he gets buckets for you and the offense you know doesn't really get taken advantage of defensively and then in the playoffs whenever the game slows down and the other team really just exploits a match uh, a mismatch every single time down the floor then it becomes problematic but we're still a couple years away from that so um uh, you know, I I don't know if he'll play this year. I mean, the, the roster, as we know, we, a lot of tweets about that today. We don't even know if there's a spot on the roster for him as you look through it. But I, I think it's it, it's exciting and it's cool that we're even having this conversation and he's played so well. I'm really happy for him. And I think he'll stick around in the NBA, whether it's with the Pistons or another team, um, you know, where people thought he was definitely going to Europe no matter what. So we'll end the pockets on this question for you because you brought it up just now and I was going to ask you anyways. Do you think that the Pistons – I've seen people say that they're just going to waive Julio Okafor. Like, that's not sources, but I've seen people say, like, it, it probably it's just going to get to a point where they just waive Julio Okafor. Do you think the Pistons just have uh, – they should just play Garza as the backup center this year? They're not trying to make the playoffs. They're not trying to be, like, a, a really great team anyways. Like, do you think that's just the best route to do it, just, like, give him playing time this season, play him as the backup center, and hit, like, behind Isaiah Stewart, and play – or not the backup center – not, like, the backup center, my fault – play the third center and possibly have him be like the starting or not the starting center backup center and then play Kelly Olenek at the four, which I've seen some people uh, say basically take Jaleel Okafor's spot. Do you think he can do that? No, like, I mean, I think he should take Jaleel Okafor's spot. Um, I would be fine with that. I'm encouraged enough. I'm intrigued enough that I would be fine him being the third center behind Stewart and Olenek and he gets some time whenever those guys, you know, need a night off or if we get in major foul trouble or something like that. Like, like I'm fine with that. Um, again, I think the Pistons, as much as I do think they want to win and are going to try to win every game, I still believe we're in a position right now to try some things out. So if trying some things out is to see if Luca Garza can be as good offensively like we've talked about to counter the poor defense – um, for 15 minutes in 40 games this season, I'm for it. I, I don't mind seeing that. Um, maybe I'm wrong there. I don't know, but I, I'm intrigued enough to see. So, and maybe it falls completely on its face. I'm very, you know, I know that's a possibility, but I would at least be encouraged to see it. All right, fair enough. I would too. I would be as well. I, every now and then, seeing him play some minutes in the NBA, see what it's like, see if he can hold up at all offensively, see if it translates. I'd be interested to see it, but. I guess we'll wrap up the podcast there. We didn't really get into saving Lee, but we went for a long time about all the other players. Uh, I, I think everyone actually will be happy about that because I think we've all had enough saving Lee after two games. I think we've I think we've got our fair dose of. I think I've seen saving Lee enough 
usage, like his usage enough for to save me a lifetime of watching Saban well, Lee. Well, and what's disheartening is he played so darn well. Me and Keith Black Trudeau sat in the Thomas and Max Center the other night and talked about this. Like him and Tyler Cook looked solid in their NBA action last season. Not like not world beaters, not all stars, not like starters in the NBA, but they looked solid. And so you expect they were able to, they'd be able to go to NBA Summer League and at least look solid. And quite frankly, like they just haven't, you know, and, and it, so it has been a little disheartening. Yeah, it definitely has. So, but we're going to wrap the podcast up there. Bryce, thank you for getting on here, man. I appreciate it always. Make sure you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you and your work at. Yeah, so Motor City Hoops on uh, pod, on Twitter, and then go check out the podcast. Had Omari Sankofa, that dropped Monday. Chris LeBron from Off the Ball Network coming on, and I have Keith uh, Smith, who you had on. Uh, he's coming on on Sunday to talk some cap stuff with the Pistons. So check those out. Detroit Bad Boys, as always, Koo, you're the man. I appreciate you. You're doing big things, and I can't wait to see. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Make sure you guys go check out those podcasts, especially the one with Omari. They recorded that in person in Las Vegas. That was pretty dope. So thank you guys for listening to this podcast. We'll catch you guys later. The Pistons play again on Friday. We got one more podcast before we get to that game. So we'll preview that game on the next podcast. But until then, I'll see you guys later. Have a great day, everybody, and peace out.